Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague, Michael Dwyer. Today is the 23rd of the 8th. It is a Sunday. Michael, how are you? I'm good, Gary. I'm not in Kildare. Okay. Is Kildare a bad place? Kildare's locked down. Leash and Offaly have escaped, but Kildare's still in the lockdown and it's going to be in the lockdown, f- gosh, weeks, who knows how long. Still... Have the people of Kildare began falling on each other and eating each other in the streets? Uh, well, not much more than you'd normally see in Nace on a Saturday night, I think. But other than, I, I, I'm sure the people of Kildare will, will bear it stoically, as they shouldn't in and out in their tens of thousands to Dublin every day. So there's one story, Michael, that in political news in Ireland... Because I was saying today, we've, we've been talking a lot about foreign news, mostly American. We should focus more on Irish news. And one story, which I think is at its base totally uninteresting, has just grown to consume all other news items, somehow. Yes. The thing they're calling Gulfgate. Now I say they, because neither I, nor you Michael, nor any of our listeners would ever stoop to affixing gate to something like this. No, this is not a gate. This has not risen to the level of a gate. This isn't even a fence. However, having said that, I think they should all be taken out and burnt in the public square, and their children should be sold to the slavers. And not the good slavers, Michael. No, no. The kind of slavers who put them to work in the uranium mines. Bad slavers, the ones you get on the other side of Tatooine. Or sell them to the Chinese for parts. Listen, Gary, what the slavers do with them is their own business. I'm not going to start quibbling. Uh, I think, of course, that ones we should use the money that we get from the slavers to give to BLM as part of our reparations package for all of the money that we've made out of colonialisation and slavery and the exploitation of the third world. It'll be good for PR as well. Absolutely. We'll give them a cent on the dollar, maybe? Oh, I don't know. I, I, I was thinking a bit more than that now, you know. Also, I don't know what you get these days. I don't know how many children they have. So I don't. I, it's hard to know. We, we have to see what kind of money we're talking about first. We could sell tickets to the auto de fe. So, moving back from us and our urge to sell children into slavery, back towards the people who are in trouble for the things they've said in public. Yes. Michael. Phil Hogan. Phil Hogan is big Phil. Big. <laughs> He's in a bit of trouble. People are saying he should resign, and it looks like, based on what some newspapers are saying today, that Phil was actually at a different golf thing recently. Yes, yes, yes. Recently enough that it might be problematic from him. Although my understanding is that Phil is classed as an essential worker, so a lot of the regulations don't uh, don't go by on him. I have enjoyed seeing people saying that he should resign, and if he doesn't resign, he should be sacked. Because when I hear someone saying, we should sack an EU commissioner, the hugest tone. You don't even know. A lot of people who I've been seeing on, on social media today, and I've been spending more time than I would like on social media in the last couple of days, Gary, it's not a nice place. I don't know if you've ever been to Bundorn in the winter, but it's not much better. Are, are they're all going, we sack him. Neil Martin, sack him. Leo Varadkar, sack him. People, sack him. I don't know, I don't think they really can sack them, lads, you know. No, I I went and I found what you have to do to remove a commissioner from office. Because remember, once a commissioner is is brought in, he's not the Irish commissioner or the German commissioner. He is, he's just a member of the commission. (laughs) 
So Ireland or Germany can't sack him on their own. But here's what you'd need to do to sack a commissioner, to force them to retire. Mm -hmm. This is what the treaty says. Any member of the commission no longer fulfills the conditions required for the performance of his duties, or if he has been guilty of serious misconduct, the court of justice may, on application by the council or the commission, compulsorily retire him. Which is to say you either need to get the full commission the full council, and then go through the European Court of Justice to get Phil Hogan to resign. It sounds like a lot of work. So Phil Hogan conceivably could retire. I mean, Michael, as you said when we were discussing this off-air, meteorites have hit the planet before. Absolutely. Things do happen. The dinosaurs were not expecting that. No, no, but I do like to think that just as the asteroid came down, one turned to the other and said... But what about the economy? <laughs> I hear Phil Hogan's under pressure. I love the idea of and you're reading these things like, well, the Taoiseach and the Tarnishta have both asked Phil Hogan to consider his position. I love that phrase, to consider his position. Yeah, I'm sure Phil Hogan did consider his position and his response was basically my position is that you should go fuck yourself. <laughs> Phil Hogan <laughs> will no more step away from money. I thought. I don't even know what to compare him to. It's, I mean, he might resign if he thinks there's something else there and you <sighs> bribe him. But, like, I would rather pull a rabid, starving dog off a carcass than try and get Phil away from money. Well, it's not just money, Gary. Money and power. Money, power, glamour, influence, jets, shiny cars, trips. If this was the 12th century... The envoy they had sent to Phil with that request would have been returning in a series of boxes. <laughs> I, I wasn't a fan of uh, the film 300, I think it was called, which was about the invasion of uh, Greece by Persia, by the great king. But there's a scene which became very widely quoted where the, the emissary from Persia... Uh, <laughs> demands soil and water from the Spartans as symbols of submission and he basically gets kicked down some hole and the line he is gets kicked down a well kicked down a well this is Sparta now personally I thought that was an example of the barbarity the literal barbary the barbarism of the of the Spartans that they kill a diplomatic uh, envoy but I, I that's I think much like much like the response that you'd get from Phil, if there was a well or a bog handy to to drop you in, would you ever fuck off? So I mean, he might go. He if he thinks it's to his advantage, he might go. But it's not something that Leo or Martin can do to him. He might go if there was a if there was a sense that there was a real danger that. The commission was going to take it out because let's face it, the COVID thing isn't just an Irish thing. It's obviously it's a pandemic. It's a European thing, and they may take it seriously that he has broken. Now let's let's be careful in our language. I, I several people were giving out today about the fact he'd broken the law. To my knowledge, he hasn't broken any laws. They're not they're not even regulations. They're guidelines, and he whatever he's done, he's done and. But they may take it, they may decide that it is good for one man to die for the sake of the people, you know. Or they may, like the old, as Voltaire said about the 
what the English when they when they they executed Admiral whatever his name was you know sometimes you do these things to encourage the others so maybe the commission will make a move now if he thought there was a chance of that no no man is going to stand around and wait for the commission and the council to get together to kind of quasi impeach him send him to the court and then to be forced that would be humiliating and horrible and would probably impact on your capacity to get a decent job in the United Nations or the World Bank or whatever the hell you want to do afterwards. So, in those circumstances, yes, I can imagine. But that does seem like an awful lot of work. And the European Commission is not noted for its uh, responsiveness, shall we say. And, and neither, Michael, and this, uh, this I think is important, is Phil Hogan noted for his willingness to forgive slights and those he feels he has been wronged by sometimes many years ago. There are those who say that Phil is actually a sensitive man, thin-skinned, easily offended and remembers those slights. I don't know. I've always found him perfectly amicable, quite a degree of bonhomie to him. He's a big, tall man and confident. Um, exudes he looks like a commissioner. He walks around like a man who should be a commissioner. But if indeed he does have that characteristic to his temperament, then yeah, he <laughs> there are those who might be on their list who won't be getting Christmas cards next year. I mean, and there are those who might, if they pushed for this, be told in no uncertain terms by Phil exactly how he will remember this and how long he expects to live. Actually, by the time this the podcast on Friday went live, we've been talking about how Dara would have to resign because of the wider thing. By the time the podcast went up, he had actually already resigned. Dara has done it right. Dara has done it right. He came out straight, full, uncomplicated apology. Bang, the next day he's gone. He's done it in such a way, six months' time, Dara can come back. No, and he can, Dara, I think, of all the people who were there, in a, like, in a while, you know, he can start being mentioned that he was only there because a close friend of his family and someone who he felt he had to support was being honoured at the event. It wasn't just because the, he wasn't there to golf. Also, in the, in, in the days since, after his resignation, lots of people saying, yeah, well, maybe he had to do it, but you know, I, I, I've, I've dealt with Derek before, and he's a really, really genuinely nice guy. He's also a bright, capable, competent guy. You can't read. It's a pity that of all the people that were lost, he was lost because you know he's, he's a competent and capable man. Now, that that's kind of credit in the bank for changing the story a little bit, for prepping people for the idea. When he has done a certain amount of purda, when he's done a certain amount of penance, that he can return to the fold. More difficult for the previous incumbent in the office because he left it go a little bit too long. Yeah, and they all got a bit murky and complicated and driving licenses and uh, who, who knew quite what, what was going on. So it, was, uh, it wasn't really feasible at the time. So... But I say clearly, but, but Gary, listen, I know, I understand. Everybody's, we're now reaching at that point in the pandemic where, and 
you know, maybe it's early days. According to the WHO, it could be over within two years. I don't know if they meant that as good news, but it doesn't feel like good news. Like we've been here at this stage, March, April, May, June, July, August, six months, and it feels like we've been doing this forever. People are getting frayed and fed up. And if the reaction to what's happened is a manifestation of that, well, I think it's understandable. But if it's simply a reaction to what's happened, God almighty, lads, you know, let the names be all be published. Let them all be shamed. Let them all be sacked. Sean O'Rourke went. No, Sean O'Rourke. Sean O'Rourke did go, yeah. Sean O'Rourke, is he not a, isn't he a private citizen now? He is. Well, I mean, there's, there is, there is an interesting question there of high level journalists. Are they actually private citizens? Or does the public have a certain degree of right to know about them as well, as they control part of the flow of information? There's an argument there. Yeah, it's not an argument. I find, you know, people say, it's like this thing, it, it, we've uncovered a nest of the Illuminati in plain sight in Ireland, and we're all shocked and horrified by it. I was saying to you earlier, there were two lines which I... To, which came together on my uh, on my my uh, social media stream, which together just I thought were fantastic. Um, you had uh, I think it was Elaine Byrne, that fine journalist, demanding to know was there a membership for the Oireachtas Golf Society, and is it appropriate that journalists and judges, if this is the case, are members of such a club or attend its events? Well, they won't be members because. The Oireachtas Golf Society is like any golf society. It's a it's a works like a, that's where they work. So it's a member, but they can invite guests. You know, I mean, I, I have a lot of time for for Burn generally, but I, I I'll give you a better question from a journalist, Michael, from Kitty Holland. Oh God, yeah. Kitty Holland asked, "Were were all eighty one guests men?" I'm asking for a friend. Now, Kitty Holland is a journalist. Well, if she did ask that, it's no longer her Twitter stream at the minute. But the basic response to her was just people going, there, there's a list. Like, you're a journalist. And it's been widely reported. You can go- Journalism, Michael. Google, Gary, Google. Well, in fact, and as and somebody then commented afterwards, a journalist, I would point out, we are absolute, we have absolutely world-class political journalists in Ireland. And I'm very grateful for them. 591 people liked that tweet. Which ones? Which ones are world-class? Uh, oh, gosh. I'm not saying none of them are. There are one or two I actually think are quite good. But the majority of them? Kevin Myers? I mean, Michael, he's dead. Oh, sorry, right. Yeah, Kevin Myers is dead. We Did you hear the podcast he did with Gareth Soy? If the listener hasn't heard it, <laughs> Gareth Soy did a podcast yes. with Kevin Meyer. Yes. And he was telling a story of meeting people from the Irish Times and trying to shake their hand. And Kevin Myers worked in the Irish Times for many, many years. And they just blanked him they just like knocked the hand out of the way he kept going there were a hell of a lot of people who bought the irish times to read kevin myers kevin myers on the crossword i would say for a long time were the two principal reasons why a lot of people were buying the irish times i mean this this is a, a really this is sort of an inside golf thing here when i'm sorry inside baseball is the, is the expression i just keep thinking of golf when Kevin Myers and George Hook, when both of them went, it was interesting to me because particularly George Hook mm-hmm. was a massive help to young journalists, both men and women, absolutely willing to help anyone who asked them. And a lot of 
people in the media who are happy to stab him in the back. And sometimes in the front. Yeah. Um, owed quite a lot to him. And Kevin Myers as well was always very willing to help younger journalists and to give them advice and to kind of talk them through things. And that was I found that a really interesting aspect of it. The amount of people in the media who turned on both of them and the amount of people who should have been their friends who uh, just didn't. Just went totally silent. And if... Um, do you remember when we we came back from America uh, and we had that thing, the the issues with Yaff? Yes, the, ridiculous. So if, if the listener can't remember this, the Edmund Burke Institute brought a number of children over to America last children. week. Children. I'm sure they will love that. They will forgive me in time, Michael, when they grow to adulthood. Yeah. No, young, young people. And we brought them over to America to a conference from uh, the Young America's Foundation. And as part of that, a number of people spoke at it. It was four or five days. There were so many speakers that by the end of the week, even I just felt mentally worn out because you were like... Members of the Senate, members of the House of Representatives, federal judges, academics, people of Im- yeah. irreproachable and impeccable credentials. Absolutely. And then we got a... Killian Foley Walsh, who at the time was the president of Young Fine Gael, got an email from Hugh O'Connell. Now, you had misread some of the people who had spoke previously at it and thought one of them was a noted white supremacist because he just apparently doesn't have great reading comprehension. (laughs) And he asked a series of questions. We knew this was going to be a hatchet job, both because of the questions and because of the people that you associates with and that he's, he's married to. So that would be the Newman family, Kate O'Connell, that sort of ground. On the other ideological side of Fine Gael, as Killian would have been. But anyway, this, this is just to set up the story. We got back and it became this this news item. And then you had TDs, you had Noel Rock talking about it. You had an MEP coming out to condemn him. Because he had seen Mike Pence speak. Now the amusing thing is, and this didn't come out in the media, is that Killian picked up what I think was food poisoning. And he actually missed Mike Pence entirely. Oh, God. So he was getting shit on from a height. Yeah. And he hadn't even seen the talk. And it really galled him because the other people we had gone with, they managed to get up the front and they were able to talk to Mike Pence <laughs> and get some uh, selfies with him. Yeah. And Mike Pence was talking about his love for Ireland with them. Yeah. And he was so annoyed about it. And then the story breaks and you're like, I didn't even get to see him speak. And it's worth, it's also worth pointing out in passing that the, the other students, it was quite a mixed bag of people ideologically or politically. It was. Yeah, I remember talking to one reporter after, uh, sorry, one, um, some people from Fianna Fáil. I was talking to some of the lads from Fianna Fáil. I was like, can you, can you ease up a bit on Killian? Because we actually had some of your lads there as well. And that hasn't gotten out yet. But like, you don't want to go too hard on Killian because then if it comes out, those lads are there. It's embarrassing. And there were a couple of Sinn Féin lads there as well. But it just became this this nonsense thing. But I remember talking to Killian afterwards when he was like he was under a lot of pressure because no one would defend him. It wasn't actually at the time. It was it was really distasteful. It, it wasn't actually a story. It had been turned into a story, and by being in the papers, it became that it became a self justifying fact that it was a story. The Independent. Then I think the Examiner came in, and it was really yeah, nasty. The Examiner, the Independent. It, it it became the Times. I think touched on it as well. All incredibly negative towards yeah. it. And I remember talking to him about it. And I was saying, look, what's going to happen here is that there are going to be people who will turn against you. And that's going to be pretty bad. But the thing that's actually really going to hurt you 
and you won't realize it until it happens, is these people are going to say things and you're going to look at your friends and your friends are just going to look away from you. Yeah. And they're not going to say anything. They're not going to get involved and they're not going to help you. Now, there's an upside to that in that after this, you'll have a fair idea who your real friends are. But most of those people you think are your friends, they're not. They're not doing anything here. I, they're just going to let this happen. On a, I remember t- having a conversation some time ago with a young man who was thinking about getting involved in elective politics. Great candidate. Everything about him was just right. But slightly idealistic, shall we say. And I'd never really been involved in any kind of party politics and stuff before. And I said to him, the thing is, you have to remember... And you don't re- you think you know this, but you don't really understand is the way that people will lie when it comes in politics and who mm. you think you ha- you can rely on and who you can actually rely on. You will find a very disappointing experience at the beginning at the beginning. And you have to be able to deal with that. Like oh, yeah. I, to me, do you remember I'm going if we, again talking Phil again? Back what seems a very, very long time ago now, do you remember when Lucinda Crichton and Paul Bradford uh, and Peter Matthews et al. were kicked out of Fine Gael? Mm. I think that for them, the most disturbing thing wasn't that the people that wanted them out got them out, but that there wasn't a single voice raised who disagreed with their position, but felt this is not the correct thing to do. Nobody spoke for them. There was this just general silence. And I think that was probably for them more hurtful than anything else. They expected it from their, shall we say, competitors. I don't want to say enemies, but it's when the other people don't come forward. That's I think the, the worst. The, the thing about it is that someone attacking you is at least putting, like they're throwing their hat in the ring. They're making their view clear. Sure. Whereas to see friends turn against you, that's also one thing. It's to see friends who just don't want to get involved. Well, it, and they're just, it's not comfortable, so they're not going to do it. To drag it back, as it were, to the, to the, to the golf issue. There have been a, a couple of people, journalists, amongst others, saying, you know, come on. I mean, let's not lose complete track. And people are very angry. I don't. Part of the problem is that this, this is they're feeding into this kind of anti-politics, and politicians are doing it. And I don't think that the politicians who are doing it realize what a bad idea this is, because the only way to the only way that we know how to do this stuff is with politics. If we abandon that, for example, and it might it's a small thing I know, but it's Sean Fleming, is it the TD from? Uh, Lee Shoffley said that he was going to demand, he was going to immediately get in contact with Shauna Farrell, who was the Keon Corla, about winding up the, the golf society, the Eroctive Golf Society. And I think Sean Farrell has made a statement. He has. He's called on it to change its name and then wind up, basically, as a matter of urgency. Really? Which, to be fair, of all the letters, Michael... I've seen that man write, and I think you know exactly what letter I'm. Oh going to well, yes, next. indeed, indeed. I'd say that's way above the last letter I saw from him. It's a golf society. Are you're, are we, have we now decided that 
The presence of a golf society in the Arachtis represents some kind of threat to the Republic. I mean, come on. It's, I, I, it, do you remember during the, I'm slightly pushing the point, but do you remember during the, not personally, but you, you remember reading about uh, the Black Death when it hit Marseille in the middle, in the, in the, in the, in the Middle Ages. They decided that it was being spread by cats. So they rounded up and they killed all the cats. Well, it turned out that that wasn't actually a particularly helpful thing to do when the thing was being spread by the, the rat population. That mm. The rats actually talked that that was a pretty helpful kind of a thing to do. I don't think that shutting... shutting is this is is this is what we think is a sensible and useful way of doing politics is we're going to close down the golf society well i i think there's a there's there are there are people who play five-a-side football you know in in in, in the arctic scary and we know that they have been previously involved in plotting and hatching before there may be maybe a hurling club in there god knows there may be people who play bridge are we just get rid of them? Are we going to get rid of anything where people can socialise and possibly meet other people? Are we going to decide that the best thing to do is all politicians should live in a hermetically sealed bubble where they only can talk to each other and only breed with each other? I don't know if that's a good plan for evolution, by the way. What do you think about uh, Sean's statement about why he wrote that uh, letter, actually, Michael? Uh, you know what? On things like that, I tend to take it probably an excessively liberal view. Mm. I think an awful lot of the time, Irish TDs are incredibly busy doing busy work at a, a constituency level. And I think in the same way, they, they don't maybe pay the kind of attention that they should do. Like with this golf thing, I think it's a similar kind of thing. The golf, it was really stupid. When they got there and the new regulations had been announced, the new restrictions had come in, they should have got there and thought, you know what, let's, let's, we'll play the golf and then we'll just go home. We'll just leave it. But they, the thing had been planned and, this, and somebody came and said, no, no, we checked. It's all right. As long as we divide the room into two, it'll be grand. Now, these people are professional politicians. Irrespective of whether or not the regulations allowed it, although, and it seems to me they didn't insofar as their regulations, because they the, the fifth the group of having fifty people in a room is specific to weddings, not to other group not to golf dinners. That was the exception. They were specific specifically allowed as an exception for weddings. Although why it's safe for a wedding but not safe for something else is something which eludes me. They should have arrived and thought, you know what, this is a really bad optic. This is not a sensible thing to do. And gone home. But I don't think that it, I don't honestly believe that it was an act of arrogance of, oh, well, we're above everybody else. Fuck the, the proles. We're going to do it anyway. I think it was just silly and unthinking. And it's also a human thing where there's a few of them thinking, ah, oh, God, geez, I don't know. And somebody else says, ah, no, no, it'll be grand. It'll be grand. It'll be all right. Which is a very Irish, maybe, way of doing it. Well, that's why, that's why I think Dara's way of doing this is, is probably the right way. Because now it's being put about that he was just there, you know, for the honouring of a family friend and that he wasn't comfortable being there, but he got there and he just kind of went, well, I kind of feel I have to be here for the family. And people may say that makes no difference. But I think to most Irish people, the thought of just being 
kind of socially mortified into staying there yeah. is actually very, very reasonable. Absolutely. And I remember that when, when, when the, this whole thing was becoming a serious issue back, sort of, shall we say, late February, and we, I was doing some workshops around the country. And because I am... Uh, I'm in the crosshairs of the target of this very clever virus. I know it's a clever virus because it said in the papers today, this virus is intelligent, but our politicians are not. Uh, I stopped shaking hands with people. And I, I, I was talking to other people who were very aware of the issue about, say, not shaking hands and not contacting and hand sanitizing and all that, but weren't doing it. We're shaking hands and greeting people because of social embarrassment. And I, I remember mm. saying to a friend, you know what? This is the final proof that the Irish people will choose possible death over social awkwardness. And I can see that, you know, oh God, what will I do? And you make a mistake. It was a mistake. He's, let's, he's resigned. He's gone. Jerry Buttermer has resigned as less, less, uh, look of the Shannon. You know, we, there's a, a Sinn Féin councillor that's had to, is going being hauled over the coals because she went to Lan- she went to Lanzarote for a fortnight. Oh yeah, I mean, lovely time to be there. Very quiet in the streets. We lost. I have enjoyed Sinn Fein's ability to come out and say these people terrible should be sacked. Yeah, yeah. And then when people go, what about that funeral at yeah, Belfast? Yeah, what about that? I believe Mary Hughes' response was just, "Well, that was a different situation with different regulations." And no explanation of how it was different or why it should be different. Yeah, it reminded me of the old days. But interestingly, by just totally ignoring it, they've managed to do it. Well, I think that without having my tinfoil hat on, you can only get away with that if there's a certain degree of complicity from the people who are reporting the story. I say complicity, it may be that they're just not bothered following it up. They think that's an old story. There's no juice in it. They can't be bothered. But well, I think Sinn Féin have done the right thing. Go, well, if we don't apologise, yeah. there's nothing else to write. But what can you say? It remi- I would say it reminds me of the good old days when Bertie Ahern would do a U-turn on something or flip-flop or, and people would say, but Taoiseach and Bertie would look, ah, well, that was then, this is now. And well, what do you do? So I'm actually, I'm just looking at that letter that um, the doll speaker sent. It was, if the listener isn't aware of this, it was a letter asking... I didn't actually ask for clemency. It was, it was written about a guy called Joseph Dempsey. Now, Joseph Dempsey was jailed for six years for rape and 15 counts of indecent and sexual assault uh, against his nephew, a boy called Sean. I believe Sean is the sister of uh, Emma Jane, the, the journalist. The brother, I think. Yeah, and it was, it was basically a character reference. And what I thought was really interesting, Michael, and just this reading it now reminded me, is what he actually said when he explained why he wrote this. Right. And he he says, basically he said that he knew the guy and he'd never had reason to doubt his character. But here's his, his explanation, Michael. And remember, this is from a long-serving politician. Yeah. He says, I was not at all familiar with the circumstances surrounding the crimes of which he had been convicted. I knew that they were grievous in nature... And I offered the testimonial not to in any way condone what had happened, to simply to illustrate his standing in the community. Long-term politician from the area 
writes a letter of reference for a man who's been convicted, doesn't know what he's been convicted of, and doesn't think to find out. Yeah, it's not great. But also says he knew they were grievous in nature. Mm-hmm. So who would have a conversation where they'd be like, that man, that man Dempsey, convicted of, of grievous crimes. Not sure exactly what, <laughs> but grievous. So how do, you, some... how do you find out they're grievous crimes yeah, and yeah. not find out what the crimes are? Oh, that was some bad shit, man. You know, yeah, but we won't go into the details, but it was some bad no, bad. No. That would be too salacious for this salacious gossip section. Was, that was bad stuff there, yeah. Um, I suppose... He was called on to resign for that later. I, I'm just... I'm just slightly confused by it all because everybody's absolutely losing their life over this. And I'm thinking, you know, lads... In the last year, two years, I mean, there have been other stuff that people have got interested in and talked about, but we haven't seen this level of, you know, get the pikes out and get light the firebrands, let's get on the street. Anger. Now, maybe it's just, it's the moment that we're living in and there's this sense that these people have become detached and they have no real understanding of the kind of experiences that an awful lot of people are going through because of the nature of the lockdown and there are people who feel threatened because of their own personal circumstances or who have close members of their family who they feel who are in danger and they and this is disrespectful and uncaring for them and that's this is a reflection of their anger on that and that's understandable but the media seem to be caught up in this vortex to the same degree and more so i mean honest to god they gets go after the golf society that just i don't know it is what it is uh it will blow it it'll be it'll be gone by wednesday and it'll be so it'll be replaced by something else and in three weeks time people will vaguely remember there was something about was there something about golf in Donegal? Was it Donegal or was it Mayo? No, it was it was Galway? Was it Galway? By God, I tell you, it's, it's only lucky there wasn't a tent involved, Gary. I mean, I if the media could find a photo of a tent in that room, ah, oh. I think it happened the night of the hurricane, did it? Well, the hurricane, the big wind, and because it, it had struck me that on another day, if there had been a nice night, somebody might have suggested, you know what, we get some kind of a open marquee thing and do it outside and that'll be okay and that would have been the absolute end of it it would have been a tent in galway with politicians <laughs> new uh new poller today Mark. yes from the mail on Sunday. Yeah. ireland thinks. ireland thinks what does ireland think gary well i'm not sure that ireland think accurately reflects what ireland thinks because i'm not sure of their methodology but finnegale 35 minus three yeah Sinn Féin 30 plus four Finnafall 11, that's minus 1. So they're doing better on the Ireland Thinks poll than they are on some of the others. Social Democrats, 5 plus 1. I was about to say the Liberals. Labour, 5 plus 1. Green Party, 3 minus 2. Solidarity People Before Profit, 2 minus 1. Into, 2, no change. And Independence and others is 7 plus 1. Right. And that's the last poll was done in July. So, monthly poll. Yeah. So pretty much the trend we're seeing in the other polls, except a little bit more of a fall for Fine Gael. Um, but Fine Fall still going the same way. That is one of the, fu- the funniest things, though, Gary, about all the commentary when you see all the stuff on in social media, is that every so often somebody will interject and say, yeah, but remember, 
Finnegan are in government too. Michael, I've got to say, I have loved, I have loved seeing the Finnegalers come out of the woodwork to say, well, no one is surprised that Stephen Donnelly is, is struggling in health. He never had the experience. Oh. To which you sort of go, <laughs> you put a fucking high school or college dropout in charge of it. <laughs> With no managerial experience. You put Simon Harris there. You don't get to turn around and say, oh, well, that was a bad choice. Yeah, I saw one today complaining that, of course, that it was Finnefall had to just fess up and accept that it made a mistake because, you know, Simon, Simon Donnelly just wasn't up to it. He wasn't competent. He just wasn't up to the job. Did, did you see Fiona and Sheehan in the Independent? Oh, yeah. I mean, Fiona and Sheehan, it was a kicking. It was brutal. He quotes as a civil servant. Now, you can always find a civil servant to give you a terrible quote about a politician. Yeah. It's just you usually don't use them. Like, you don't use ones of a certain level of insult easily. Yeah. But Fionn uses uh, one from a civil servant saying that Stephen Donnelly is the biggest bullshitter in the doll today. That's it. That's a, a fair bit of competition around that one. I don't know. But I don't, I don't get it because it's... It is a level of vitriol, even if it's true. It is a level of vitriol that has not been applied to the previous, uh, to Fine Gael's health minister. So why is it now suddenly, well, now we're going to talk about competency and now we're going to talk about these things. Like, well, you weren't talking like this when Simon Harris had that issue with nursing homes. No. You weren't talking like this during parts of the cervical check issue. That went away quite quickly, actually. We weren't. This wasn't uh, really the issue uh, when, not to constantly harp on it, the, the, the children's hospital seemed to, uh, that just went on bubbling along. It never became this re- a great revolution. And, you know, he was able to come out and furrow his brow and say, you know, we're, we're doing our best and we have it, we, the, the, we're, we, we have it under control now. And, <laughs> yeah, I still love the fact that, the representative on the board sent by the Minister for Public Expenditure was there in a private capacity. That was one of the best ever. That's because I... And we didn't get the answer, and I'm not sure anyone asked the question, of just, what about your personal life qualified you to be on that board in a private capacity? Uh, what totally devoid or totally detached from your departmental experience? That you'd never even mentioned it over coffee to the minister. Oh, by the way, you know that thing I'm doing in my spare time? Just so you uh, wouldn't like as a as a heads up <laughs> to the minister of finance, be like, like the budget on that thing. Lad, you would believe it. Just like not even a you know, a quiet word into the no, year. no. Just to let you know, was Brendan? No, Brendan Howland was the minister, wasn't it? You could imagine you saying, "Listen, Brendan, you would not believe it." Going on, what's going on over there? But I can't talk about it because they're only in private capacity. It's just Chinese walls, Brendan. Absolutely, Chinese walls. Chinese walls or Chinese whispers? Didn't someone walk through those, Michael? <laughs> I don't know. I think it was Copperfield walked right through the Chinese wall. But famous illusion. I think the worst part of it with Donnelly as well is the fact, other than the fact he's 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 there a wet weekend, so his competence or otherwise is is he got really he got into trouble trying to say something which was actually eminently sensible that nobody else has tried to do. I suspect, and I have no proof of this, I could be absolutely wrong, I suspect that that article isn't because of anything that um, that he did. I think what happened, and you may not have seen this, there was a briefing recently where 
basically, he has a new advisor, uh, Colette Sexton. And she started trying to tell people in the media that they couldn't ask certain things. Yeah, yeah. Or, and it's, I, I suppose she could have been kind of going, look, this is meant to be about health. I want to keep it about health. But the media did not like the tone and they didn't like the suggestion. And then this article comes out. And I think there might be a little bit of a Donnelly, like, keep your dog on a lead here. Yeah, I think... Like, we don't, you don't get to do that to us, I, or we do this I to I don't you. want to, to, to misattribute the quote, but I, I think it was Fiona uh, said something on Twitter. Maybe, maybe it wasn't, I don't Mr. saying, you know, Minister, you don't get to tell journalists that they can't ask questions that... Uh, a functioning media is absolutely central to the the health of any democracy. You don't. This is- he called. He called. He Fionnachian called Colette Saxton uh, a lackey. Yes, a lackey trying to censor the questions being put to him. Yeah, and that a free press was the cornerstone of democracy. Yeah, that's it. So I would I would suspect there was a little bit of a. Uh, now make sure that doesn't happen again. Yeah, there. there may be a bit of a slap involved in that already. As regards, uh, here's a good one. I think I throw it, at, throw it at your head and see if you catch it. I was, uh, I heard a conversation with teachers there. And they're talking about the reopening of the schools and whether they were happy and they're frankly not massively happy about the plans as they're being outlined in school to school. And one came up with this idea. That's there's a certain charm to that. That she said because. Everything has been so hurried. I don't know, did you see the story about the buses? Where they may not have enough buses? But they won't have enough buses because they suddenly realised, Maria, oh gosh, buses will have to be socially distanced because the one thing that's been socially distanced consistently for since DOT have been buses and trains. So there's going to be a problem getting kids into schools for some so and for some, I mean there are some schools which will draw eighty percent of their students or more from uh, children who use the the school buses, so it's a big issue. So, big panic. Oh God, what are we going to do? So they've now. But this is this was being talked about a fortnight before the schools are supposed to go back. I mean, that just seems odd. And I said, to them, how has that happened? How are they so unprepared? I mean, this surely would have been basic. And the response I got was, they announced that the schools were going to go back because they wanted to announce the schools were going back. But they were absolutely sure that when they started to reopen that there were going to be clusters and spikes all over the gaff and then they would be able to say, well, on the basis of what is actually the health advice we have, we're not going to be able to open the schools at all. We're going to have to postpone it. So the, <laughs> the theory anyway is that they never expected the schools would be actually would be, would be fit to be opened. So, but they did want to have the optic of announcing that they would be, so that they would get the the points, as it were, from parents that they were dedicated and committed to the idea of schools reopening as normal. But then something happened, and well, what can you do? Now it's a bit tinfoil, but I think I I quite like that as a theory, and it would explain a lot of stuff that's been going around about stuff that's happening in schools and. You know, physical, for example, there have to be two doors. And I know for a fact that there are schools all over the, that just, there, there won't be two doors available. And we don't know, I mean, some places they won't be able to do it at all. Some places they're going to be time. And all sorts of little 
structural works that are going to have to be done and maybe space, extra spaces that will have to be found that haven't been found that won't be found. Certainly at the idea of that you have a big bang on the, first, on the last Monday in August and bang, all the kids will be back. That's not going to happen. No way. Um, I've, I've been, uh, there's a, a school locally here and it's going to be probably three weeks, assuming everything goes well, before all the kids are in the school. So, <laughs> anyway, I'm throwing it out there uh, at, as a notion. I, 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 I think it has, has something to it. There's, because there is that element about this at the moment, isn't there? As something will turn up, you know. We, we'll say we're going to do it, fingers crossed, something will happen and we'll get off the hook. But unfortunately, whatever about the last government getting lucky on stuff, this government ain't getting lucky on anything. No. In which case, Derek Cleary may actually be the best positioned. Yeah. Because he's gone. He's out. Minister for Agriculture. Just before Brexit, that thing everyone seems to have forgotten is happening. Before that comes around the corner, may not be a bad thing. Also, of course, we're now being set up for the notion, how long will this government last? I, was it, it depended, was it again, was it Finon again asking the question? You know, how long can things last? What was, what was the phrase? Leo's patience is running thin with Michal. I mean, I do feel sorry for Finnefall in that all they tried to offer the media... All of that money, all of that, oh, we've got to fund everyone from a central pot, doesn't seem to have bought the independent. In fact, something seems to have pissed the independent off. Mightily. Something is really annoying them, I don't know. It's almost like Dennis O'Brien was still, was still at the helm, which he is not. And Dennis, of course, uh, fine, upstanding uh, businessman with... Uh, well-known connections to the Fine Gael Party. Not that that would have affected the way he dealt with the Independent, I'm sure. But people with Independent might want it to be nice and please him, you know. Because the way you want to please your boss, particularly when he's a charismatic kind of a character. That's not how you do that at all. See, if you, if you, if you do that, people are only there to make you happy. And if anything ever happens, then they'll change. What you do is when you control hiring... You put in people who'll do what you want them to do because they want to do it themselves. What's the famous quote? And then when you go, things just really continue. What's the famous quote about the British journalist? Why would you, why would you bribe a British journalist when you see what he'll do without any bribes at all? Hmm. Ah, what a time. What a time to be alive. It is shocking the ability to which Leo and to a certain extent uh, Ryan are just not in government. It's brilliant. It is absolutely fantastic the capacity and I, I can see them selling it to martin as if they're giving him a gift yeah like we'll let you be front and center you'll have all the pr you will be the man everyone looks to and him going yes that's that's exactly what i want and then after like the last three weeks go just sitting down going i think they may have fucked me it, well, you see you're saying they're giving him a gift i mean i'm i'm sorry but Immediately, it's just a giant wooden horse, big, neon big, underlay, shiny wooden horse, and he goes, "Look yeah, at this lovely horsey! Look, bring this lovely horsey!" 
glowing like it's a fucking disco ball. Uh, is that is that is that a door in the heart? No, no, don't look at the door. That's not a door. That's just that's where the varnish hasn't finished drying. It's got a radiation symbol <laughs> nailed to the front of it. Yeah, it's just just a lovely horsey Mihal for you and Fianna Fáil. And Mihal, he he looks at it and he says, "I'll take it into my home and I'll take it into my heart." Absolutely, let's drag it in there, lads. It'll be lovely. John McGinn is standing there, just going silently shaking his head. <laughs> Jim O'Callaghan said we should have fucking burnt that horse. I told you we should burn <laughs> that horse. But the horse went unburned and it is now deep inside the city walls. Anyway, speaking of other things deep inside the city walls yesterday, I, Gary, I don't know, were you uh, were you out protesting yesterday? I, I, I didn't see you on any of the, the video shots against the, the lockdown. Against the lockdown, and interestingly, people saying against masks. Where I think that may just be because it's difficult to fit. Uh, you want a headline to be short enough. I think they themselves would say they're anti-mandatory masks. Yes. Now, some people may say that you know, the way they talk, it's actually just anti-mask in total. But I think that's a fair distinction to make, and we should, uh, we should just pointed out that they I don't think they would accept the phrase anti-mask. So yeah, just so you know. It was it looked like a fairly good turnout. My my thing, so for for those who aren't aware, there was a, a protest against um lockdowns and against mandatory mask rules and basically calling for a, a number of things. And um it was in Dublin today. It was a good crowd. It was a way bigger crowd than I thought. I, a couple of people have said hundreds. We had some people on the ground there, and they say they figure there were, uh, you know, maybe three thousand, maybe more, kind of give or take. It's it's really hard to tell the size of a crowd when you're on the ground, uh, even overhead. It's quite difficult, and um, yeah, it was it was a substantial thing. I, my what I've been enjoying, I, because regardless of the protest, is seeing people I knew were tweeting very positively in front of the Black Lives Matter protests, going absolutely mental over these ones, act like frothing at the mouth anger. Now we anger and derision. Yeah, yeah. Um, then there are those who who felt that it wasn't about the mass at all. We. Uh, Saoirse McHugh tweeted out that it was in fact a way to recruit for their own racist homophobic sponsored by the international far right clown show, which is interesting. I haven't. Who is Saoirse McHugh? Saoirse McHugh. She's uh, was she green? I think was she green? Isn't it Saoirse McHugh who quit politics, saying that she no longer believed in parliamentary democracy? Could that? So I think if that's you. Being the person calling other people far right and fascists and undemocratic, like it's, it's not even being in a glass house. It's being on some sort of glass-bottomed boat. I I don't know, but I kind of want to go to see the far right clown show. I, yeah, Sarah uh, McHugh isn't a clown. No, she's the entire circus. I I think that would be fun. I I'd like to see what a far cl- a, a far right clown show looks like. I think I think Krusty. I think Krusty would be good. I think Krusty, Krusty might be in it. To be fair, I watched, uh, I watched some of the recordings of it. And to be fair, I said the Black Lives Matter protests were ridiculous mm-hmm. and shouldn't have happened. So I'm going to give exactly the same opinion to this one and say it was ridiculous and it shouldn't have happened. I did 
even though I think these are more, I'm not saying that this is more reasonable at cause, but this is at least calling for change in the country. Well, yeah, at least it's, like it's apt in that it is to do with issues in Ireland. A number of commentators I saw basically saying that it's time for the government to crack down on these illegal protests. And I, 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 I went back through various threads and feeds on, on media to try and find similar comments made back way back when in the times of the BLM protests in Dublin and failed to find them, which surprised me. I did see, uh, I was reading some of the reports of this, and there were a couple of Antifa uh, guys there, and they got chased off, and apparently the guards kind of pulled a lot of them away as well. But they weren't described as Antifa in any of the reports I saw about them. In fact, they just the, the reports just said things like, protesters were arrested by the guards, or this happened to protesters, and made no distinction between the actual, the, uh, the anti-lockdown and anti-mandatory mask protesters and the counter-protesters. Which was largely peaceful. Largely peaceful, <laughs> yes. And this time, no one even, you know, threw something at the head of a police horse. Mm -hmm. So, but then again, Gary, if the reporting was the correct reporting at the end of the day, because just to remind you, we have absolutely world-class political journalists in Ireland. Yeah, there are one or two political journalists uh, in this country I think are quite good. I don't include myself in that number. Um, but there are a couple of them, and, and that's not just people I agree with. There are people I disagree with who I think are very solid. In general, however, our class of political journalists are terrible. They're like they're absolutely atrocious at their job. I've... They are way too cosy to the people they cover. They move far too readily into their employ. And it's just, it's, it's not of a high class at all. We don't even, even on a pure ethical level, our journalists aren't very good. Now, there are many good journalists in Ireland outside of politics. Indeed. But inside it, there's very few good ones. It's it's something about the sector. On the, on the, on the subject of the march, on the protests, it's, I'm very much uh, of your, I think, it's just, uh, I think there are, if you want to do these things, do them in a different way. This is not the way to do it. Um, it's just, it was just silly and unnecessary. Uh, but a friend of mine commented, you know, if they were told not to wear masks, they'd protest that it's their constitutional right to wear them, numpties, which is a criticism of them. But to me, that's the point. I mean, even at a, even at a time like this, we do have constitutional rights. And people do have, I mean, if we either have protections or we don't. And the protections we have from the Constitution are actually specifically designed to deal with moments of extreme stress and crisis so that you don't get to just behave like that's the job of a constitution like ours is to make sure that governments can't just willy-nilly that, that the courts do provide a break on this kind of thing now i think most of the time the fact is the courts will hold that what the governments are doing are probably perfectly legal because the irish constitution is full of references to the common good and lots of legal. You know I, 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 I have quite enjoyed Michael. Is you and I were talking about masks way before it was WHO or government yes. policy. At the point when they were saying it was actively harmful, and we were saying that that seemed ridiculous. And so I, I disagree fundamentally with the with the people about 
maybe not the mandatory aspect of masks, because I don't really have an opinion on that, because there's no political debate on it in the country. So there's no point me having an opinion, because it doesn't matter. Yeah. Unless there's popular unrest about it. But I think, largely, that masks are probably effective at curtailing the spread of COVID-19, although less so than social distancing. Most of these people, I believe, would say the opposite. But I have really enjoyed seeing the people who, when we started saying that uh, masks looked like a really good idea, just looking at some of the data on it and some of the countries and, and some of what we had heard about what is successful and what wasn't. And these people just shitting on that idea. Yeah. Because, it was, no, it was going to be harmful. That's what they were being told. And now this evangelical zeal for masks, when nothing has changed in between, there has been no new evidence of a particularly high quality, bar some of the stuff we discussed in the sort of first two months of this, where there was one or two interesting things. But there's been... I don't think these people... I would say I don't think either of the people on either side of this, not all of them, but a large amount of them, have any idea what they're talking about. But that's the comedy of it. We have this wonderful spin. Those people who were parroting the, the WHO line, when the WHO line was, masks, bad idea, and CMO, masks, bad idea, no, no evidence for masks, don't wear masks, are now all absolutely evangelical for mask wearing because now the, the official line has changed and now we're all into masks. The people who are anti-mask now are quoting at me the WHO advice of four months ago and the government advice of four months ago. I left to say, so what you're saying is the government was right and you think that we should have, we should have listened to on on that basis, the government was right and the WHO was right. So you, you you can't say the WHO is just this corrupt part of the world government and then go back and say, ah, but when they said this, they were actually telling the truth. You kind of have to make it. I have, what I have found most interesting about this, just on a slightly technical level, is in response to people constantly saying to me on this, no mass, mass, no science, no science, is actually spending quite a quite a bit of time reading a lot of reports that have been written, not recently, but over the last 10 years and more, about the efficacy of masks in different virus situations, like influenza, particularly for influenza. And what I found very interesting is a point that you've raised before, which is the difference between, shall we say, an engineer's perspective and a medical perspective. Again and again, you, you, you come across these reports from doctors saying, eh, the evidence is not very strong, yeah, the degree of protection is not, there may be some, but we don't know. There may be a little bit of protection, you know, from you getting it. Maybe there's a bit more from you to passing it, you know. And it, it, report after report. Now, there are some reports. There was, there, was, there was quite a large study done in Japan, which suggested there was a strong protective element for children who had been both vaccinated and wore masks. And that the mask element did seem to indicate quite a strong protective element. But but that thing that we discussed, that with doctors, unless there's, it's really like massive, they really don't seem to be comfortable. Eh, it's not great. Whereas if you say to an engineer, or I would have said an ordinary person, we have it. We have evidence that masks will provide twenty percent, 
we'll say, 20% better uh, of an improvement for people passing the virus. They will cut down infectious, infect, contag, contag, contagion or infectiousness by 20%. I think most of us would say, well, that's good. That's a significant change. Now, the study that we saw, that we, 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 we referred to before and we used from Yale, suggested that ordinary cloth masks would be, uh, if, as regards protecting other people, if the person wearing the mask was infected, around 50% of an improvement and possibly more. Now, that's a very significant improvement, but say it's even less than that. It still is, for what isn't a great cost, and that's the other issue here, isn't it? Shutting your business down is a very big cost. Being told you have to stay inside your house and you can't go out is a big cost. Not being able to go to work, not being able to see your family, that's a big cost. But wearing a mask, how in the great scheme of things, if there's a 10, 20, 30% improvement, a capacity to reduce contagion, how big a cost is that? I mean, one thing I would also point out is there are absolutely studies that say that masks have relatively little benefit. There are some studies that say they have a detrimental effect. None I've seen have been terribly good, and I don't think they they stand up. Uh, that, but, yes. but I mean, I've I've been sent stuff. Like someone sent me a thing from the New England Journal of Medicine. Yeah. And it was a universal mark masking in hospitals in COVID nineteen age or something like that. He said, "You see there? It says right there." that uh, wearing a mask outside healthcare facilities or hospitals offers little, if any, protection from infection. And, uh, you know, it says that people wear masks to deal with anxiety. I looked at what he'd sent me and I was like, both of those points were there. And then in between it, there was an explanation that that was because people don't come into uh, sustained face-to-face -face contact with people with COVID-19 in their general day while socially distancing and that you won't you the chance of catching COVID-19 from a passing interaction was was very small yes you sort of go right well that's a bit more than saying they don't work isn't it slightly but that yes. just just it's as if they read it and then their eyes just glazed over the next paragraph and then got to the very end mm. and you're like well and I didn't know I was like are you fucking with me like, is this like a legitimate thing? And you just, you didn't realise. Well, again... But yeah, they're, they're absolute... And, and the government has done the same fucking thing it does with vaccines, which is absolutely pointless. Where it simply says, we have made the decision, the decision is correct, nothing could be wrong with it. Yeah. And then, and you, you see this particularly in... There have been a couple of countries that have had issues with particular vaccines. And that people can just point to them and go, well, what about when that happened? And if you're not willing to have the conversation and go, well, that happened because of that. But in general, vaccines are this. You just lose people because people just go, well, why won't you talk about that? What's wrong with that? Yeah. And it's just, it's just bizarre, authoritarian. We don't have to explain ourselves. When you close it down, when you just close it down, then all you're going to do is make people worry and anxious and suspicious and it also erodes confidence when when you have to come out and be authoritative with them. It erodes your people's confidence in your in what you're in your statements when you're doing that. Anyway, if we can, we move very briefly onto what should be a, a quite a positive story outside of COVID and outside of Ireland. 
um, we referred to, I think, already the uh, the story of the recognition, the normalization of relationships between the United Arab Emirates and Israel. We did. We talked about how uh, the media had uh, had gone to Joe Biden for his view on it. Yeah, which was wonderful. Despite the fact Joe Biden had nothing to do with it. Nothing. So the reports are now, there's now reports coming out of the Middle East that on the back of this, uh, Bahrain and Sudan are now making noises about they're looking at to normalize relations and there are other countries that are maybe a little step behind them and it's, it's well there's not that there's universal happiness the people who were saying that the original deal was it was being described as historic and they said that's it's absolutely not historic as more and more countries in the middle east start going down the okay we'll normalize relations with israel and as that actually starts being implemented very rapidly into historic deal territory also if nothing else, I mean, if you're one of those people who's concerned about the Israeli treatment of the the Palestinians, the Americans have also got the the Israelis to stop, at least pro tem, on a massive annex, annexation of territory from the West Bank. I'm sure, Michael, that when they were when they were dealing with some of the Middle Eastern countries, that was absolutely item one on the agenda. Oh yeah, and I'm sure the the United Arab Emirates gave a fly in anyway about that. Just have the idea of a Middle Eastern envoy looking up at someone says something about the Palestinians and just be like, who? Oh, yeah, 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 fuck it, throw it in. But not to be flogging a dead horse here, and not because of the thousands and thousands of dollars that are secretly flowing into my and your bank accounts because we are shills for the Republican Party and for Donald Trump, but this is a, this is by any standards... A fairly important good news story about an area of the world which has historically had its issues, Gary. Now, I I may have missed it, but yeah, as you say, the response here was to go and ask Joe Biden who had nothing to do with it. Which I I, I loved. I, I couldn't even, you can't even get annoyed about that because there's such a sort of, well, we will not say anything good about Donald that, Trump. That's my question. And this is a good news story, so go ask Joe Biden about that's, it. That's my question. It's a bit like, I, I was talking to a friend of my recent who's a climate change sceptic, utterly sceptical of anything. And I said to him, you know, okay, because this, I think, is a useful test of somebody's entrenchment. I said, it's a, a hypothetical question. What would constitute evidence to you that would make you change your mind? And if somebody can't imagine any evidence that would make them change their mind, well, then you have to start wondering, well, how much of this is really based on your, your reading of the evidence in front of you? And how much of this is just, I don't bloody well believe them. And I, 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 I'm kind of asked, what would Trump have to do to get a positive story on the front page of the Irish Times? Resign. I don't think that, I think the story would be a no, good news story, I, I can but see it the wouldn't headline, be Michael, good the headline. about him. The headline would be, too little, too late, disgraced former president leaves a legacy of hate and decay. I, I, I throw in there, not leaves, disgraced former president hounded out of office. Mm. Divisive will probably go in there yeah. somewhere as well. Uh, oh, and uh, on a point, Michael, here, I saw in Real Clear Politics yeah. that Donald Trump now, at, at this point in time, compared to the 2016 polls and where he was, He's up 0.9%. We'll call it a point. We'll go mad and call it a full point. He's up a percentage point. On where he was in 2016. Whoa. It, the, the race, the polling is narrowing and narrowing at a frantic speed. When was that? Um, I, I've already 
close I don't actually have it in front of me. It was after the DNC. But that's my so. uh, really that's my question. Was this was after the DNC? Well, it was after the DNC, but it was I. I would guess from the data came out it was collected during the DNC, Big. or maybe even just towards the start of it. So uh, maybe Blackula changed some minds. <laughs> Possibly, because I mean, normally you would, normally you would expect the, the the Democrats would get a bounce off off the back of the Congress. I saw a fantastic thing, Michael. It was a uh, Snoop's and Politifact, which are both fact checkers. Donald Trump said that at the DNC. They had the Pledge of Allegiance. They have it a ton of times because they're Americans and they fucking love saying mm-hmm. it. But Donald Trump said that they got rid of the phrase under God from it. Yes. And the Associated Press, Snoops, Politifat, all of those, they came out and said, ah, deeply misleading. But that was, re- was reported in, in, I think, the Times of the Independent had the story. Donald Trump trails false story that Democrats want yeah, to get rid yeah, of God. Yeah, yeah. And I was, I was reading it. <laughs> One of them said... While the phrase was omitted from at least two uh, recitations of the Pledge of Allegiance, we're like, okay, stop there. Oh, okay. Just just stop. Just say some. And just just stop. (laughs) Uh, And they have power on Facebook as well, actually. If they find you're on Facebook, Facebook have a list of approved fact checkers. And if those fact checkers find that something a media organization like Grift has published is misleading or false. They can restrict your page. They can, I think they can damage your advertising. They can do a ton of stuff to you. And then when you look at some of the judgments that they put out, and you sort of go, well, this is this is patently ridiculous. I actually had to help one of the, some, uh, one of the American sites had put up something which gripped and republished. Mm-hmm. And they got hit by this, which meant we got hit by it. So I had to get in touch with them and go, no, you were absolutely correct. Here is everything I have on it. I need you to complain about this to Facebook because if you don't complain, then we get the false check as well. And they were just going to leave it because they thought it was too much hassle. But uh, yeah, it does happen quite commonly. And it's never on anything I'm worried about. Like it's never on anything where I'm like, that's an opinion. I'm not sure. Like I don't agree with it. I'm not sure if it's true. It's always just some nonsense. Mm hmm. So you were saying anyway. You're looking at the, the you're, you're looking at Rick's politics. And the, the the polls are tightening. I mean, Biden still has a pretty decent margin. Well, I mean, yeah, he does. But I think we need to compare this to where Hillary Clinton was. Yeah, I, this, I mean, m- bigger, much bigger margins than this. Kerry had a bigger margin than this. Dukakis had a bigger margin than this. I think Hillary had a bigger margin than this. At this stage, it's it's up to. Biden, I thought, actually, I don't know if you saw the speech, but it was quite impressive. I mean, this is something we were saying about Biden and the danger in saying he was so decrepit that all he has to do is give, he just has to be passable. Yeah. And people will stop being, like, they will just go, okay, well, he's not what you said he was. Yes. So he just needs to get through however many things without totally coming apart. And he's fine. And we shall see if he can do that. Um... Where are we? We've got a couple of months. That's really it, isn't it? It's around two and a half months. Uh, and a lot will happen. I think it'll be Biden. It'll, Trump, of course, Trump has the capacity as well to lose it. As much, as much as he's the capacity to win it, he's the capacity to lose it. And then events dear by events. Um, I, I was looking at, uh, the, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, the, the, uh, the, the bull market seems to be just buzzing ahead 
they've added 13 trillion in value in the in the current bull market we see if that keeps going if the economy bounces hard covid mm. if covid i mean <laughs> of course donald in in his own inimitable way is now accusing the fda and the, the boss of which agency he appointed himself of slowing down the processes by which you can get to third trial and because they don't want a vaccine to be available before the election day. I mean, that would seem to also reflect quite poorly on him then. Well, yeah, a little bit. Although you have to think, if they, if, and I think it would be a miracle, but if one of the, one of the American companies in third trial at this stage was able to start just the image of the first thousand vaccines being distributed in the on the first of november that would have to be pretty decent news for donald do you think wouldn't it but i don't know if criticizing that is the best way to go anyway i think we should probably leave it at that i think we should draw it over give us something to talk about on wednesday indeed and which will come all too soon so have a good sunday enjoy the week and stay safe and we will be back on wednesday with more fascinating stories from the riverbank we might try and find some more esoteric references that we can compare modern politics to, yeah. thereby limiting our audience to as small a group of people as possible. It's worked for us so oh, far. Oh, God, has it worked. Somehow. Yeah. It shouldn't. Well, it should do the opposite of working, Michael. Worked in a... It, it has worked in, in a sense of the word worked that most people wouldn't normally understand, but we'll leave it at that i do i do wonder how often the average politics podcast will get an angry email from someone about what they said about a particular austrian count and how it is in no way accurate i my favorite so far was the very friendly uh, communication we had regarding uh, giving us extra information on the burial practices of the tang dynasty mm. which was much appreciated anyway We'll be back with more from the Tang Dynasty on Wednesday. Until then, bye-bye. All the best.